Boston Medical Center, we are all welcome and treated equally. Through our commitment to serve everyone, BMC offers numerous outreach programs and health services, including this podcast series, to hear our doctors and other staff members. It's Boston Med Talks with Melanie Cole. Every year, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration sponsors Recovery Month to increase awareness and understanding of mental and substance use disorders and celebrate the people who recover. Here to tell us about that today in this panel discussion are my guests, Dr. Sarah Bagley, she's a primary care physician and an addiction specialist, and Alicia Ventura, she's on the Advisory for Families for Sensible Drug Policy, and she's the Director of the Special Projects and Research Office-Based Addiction Treatment, and they're both at Boston Medical Center. Ladies, thank you so much for joining us, and Dr. Bagley, I'd like to start with you. Tell us a little bit about the link between substance abuse and mental health, because often those dealing with one or the other can be subject to the other one. Tell us about that link that you've seen. So I think that we know that there is a strong link between substance use and underlying or co-occurring mental illness. My work, I take care of primarily adolescents and young adults who have substance use disorders. And I think that pretty consistently what we see is that many of these youth are coming with maybe a primary complaint around their substance use, but that as we get to know them, we find that they also have underlying anxiety, they have underlying depression, they may have a history of trauma, and that we we realize that it's really important that we also address their co-occurring mental health disorders because if we don't also treat those, it's going to be very hard for those youth to lead the fulfilling lives that we're trying to help them lead. So then, Alicia, tell us a little bit about drug addiction. Is that considered in itself a mental illness, or are they really two separate things that just happen to go hand-in-hand many times? We typically do not talk about substance use disorder as a mental illness. Um, We think of it more as a health condition, but as Dr. Bagley mentioned, there is a lot of overlap between the two, and it's relatively new that people have started treating both mental health and substance use disorder um, concurrently. Prior, there was sort of this idea that, you know, you can only treat one or the other, but really, you know, people have learned that it's, it's more beneficial for the patient to treat them at the same time. Alicia, when we were speaking off the air, you mentioned that you have a vested interest in this topic. Please tell us a little bit why. So I am what we would refer to as an affected family member, um, which means that I have someone in my family who um, has a substance use disorder. And um, I also kind of act as a family member to someone I grew up with who has a substance use disorder. And that's sort of given me this inside perspective Um, to the treatment system and some of the gaps that exist. Um, A lot of what goes on at home for the family is not always recognized. And, you know, there's a lot of this acute care when people are in crisis and then they're discharged home and the family has to, you know, provide basically life-sustaining care in the home. And, And often that's not recognized by treatment facilities or providers, um, and Dr. Bagley and I have both 
you know, been very vested in trying to make that more a part of um, primary care and, and really all care that's provided. Then, Dr. Bagley, along those lines, if a person is being treated for substance abuse, where does that leave them with their mental health issues, which could be a lifelong issue? How do these things go together in treatment? Tell us a little bit about what's involved in treatment. It's a really important point because I think that, you know, as Alicia noted, we, we think about substance use disorders as a, as a health condition and oftentimes as a chronic health condition which can be similar to how we think about mental health disorders. And so now in the setting where I practice and where a lot of us at Boston Medical Center are taking care of patients is actually based in primary care. And so what that means is that patients can come to us and we can offer them regular primary medical care services, but we're also able to offer them treatment for their substance use disorder, which might include a medication like buprenorphine or or, uh, naltrexone, And then also we can offer them uh, a consult with a psychiatrist or potentially therapy with a uh, social worker or a psychologist. And so in that way, we're able to offer this integrated care that both addresses their substance use disorder, but then also their mental health disorder. And because it's being offered in a medical home, that is sort of ongoing care. ongoing care. So as Alicia noticed, noted too, a lot of times the treatment system for addiction has been set up so that people um, are sort of in and out of a lot of different programs. And I think that what we've seen is really a shift in the way that we think about this, because if we're considering it a chronic illness, we really do need to provide sort of a continuum of care in a place that really is a medical home for patients who have substance use disorder, um, and in that way can provide that ongoing care. That's a great point that you brought up about ongoing care. Alicia, can you expand for us on what Dr. Bagley said about how people should go about finding a program? Do mental health patients have more trouble in treatment? Is it harder to keep them in treatment? What do you want? And we're going to get into family members being involved in a minute, but what would you like people to know about keeping their loved ones in treatment, is it more difficult when they suffer from both? I would say, you know, it's it's difficult for me to speak for all family members, right? I can really only speak to my own experience. Um, my family member actually does have both um, a mental health disorder as well as a substance use disorder. And it certainly is very challenging, mostly because it's difficult to find programs that specialize in both. And, you know, I think that it's difficult to weed out sometimes, um, you know, what is being caused by the substance as opposed to what's being caused by the mental illness. Um, And there's also, you know, a lot of difficulty with follow-up care and, you know, where is the best place to put someone. Um, I think in general, we just need more services. Um, The state has recently invested quite a bit in uh, mental health facilities and specifically facilities that are able to treat both substance use disorder and mental health. So hopefully that will um, create, you know, more opportunities for people to receive the care they need. That's a great point, Alicia, because I think if you think about it, as Alicia is sort of setting up as from like the patient's perspective, it's really not helpful for an individual who may have an opioid use disorder and also have depression, go to a a program or 
go to a treatment center and say, you know, I need help addressing my opioid addiction and I also need help addressing my depression. And to be told, well, we're really good at addressing this one thing, you know, your depression, but we can't really help you with your opioid addiction or we're really not set up. You might have to go somewhere else to do that. And from the patient's perspective, that doesn't make any sense at all. It's going to make their life more complicated. It means that they're going to have to tell their story twice. They're going to have to develop sort of relationships in two different settings um, and potentially be given two different treatment plans that may or may not be sort of complementary to each other. And so I think the importance of trying to create programs and systems of care where from the patient's perspective, he or she can go to, to a program and to be able to receive an, a, a sort of comprehensive assessment, diagnosis, and then treatment plan and have all his or her uh, needs met there, hopefully with family involvement, is just so much, uh, the, the, it's so important. The care is better, it's more efficient, um, and it's truly, truly patient-centered. What a great way to look at it and such important points, Dr. Bagley. Alicia? Tell us about families. Please reiterate for us the importance of family engagement in addiction treatment and how families can get involved. What, what do you want families to know about how involved they should be and, and how stubborn they should be if they're trying to get a loved one the help that they need? What do family members, what are we supposed to do? That is a very complicated question. Um, family members have been very much pushed to the periphery when we're talking about addiction. And we haven't spent enough time educating family members about what they can do and empowering them to help their loved ones. You know, if you think about it, so I did this math, and say someone is receiving one hour of treatment a week, which is, you know, pretty generous, um, 99% of their time is spent outside of the healthcare system. And the family is the most, you know, basic social unit of um, our society. And a lot of times families are given misinformation. And, you know, because they don't have an opportunity to, you know, get that education, often they'll go to their primary health care provider or, you know, some other person that they deem a specialist and they'll ask them what to do. And you know, that person or physician will have no idea what the family should do because it's just not something that um, that they're well-educated in or that anybody is, like, super well-educated in. And so families, you know, play an incredibly important role if you just think about the support that they're able to provide. And often families are ridiculed and told that they're enabling someone's um, substance use if they provide them with love and resources, and that is so not true. Um, we know that, you know, kicking someone out to the street, um, those sorts of things are not helpful. Um, a substance use disorder, however, you know, you want to define it or conceptualize it, we know that it is compulsive use despite negative consequences. So adding negative consequences is not going to help this person with their substance use. And so families can provide this really unparalleled support. Um, and, and some are, are totally capable of doing that. And I think a lot of times all that we really need to do is to give 
families that information and empower them and teach them how to be, you know, these supports and not stigmatize them and push them away and give them false information that's going to eventually harm their loved one. Those are great points, Alicia. You know, I think that what's being highlighted is the importance of sort of different levels of care that even family members need. And so some of that might mean actually family members on their own should be able to access uh, services to support them because there can be a lot of stress um, and potentially anxiety that goes along with supporting someone who has a family who um, has a substance use disorder, but that also families need readily accessible information to find out about options for treatment, uh, what different kinds of treatment mean, what's the most appropriate treatment, what's evidence-based treatment, and that that can be really hard for families to access unless they already have a family member who's ready to, to enter treatment, which may or may not be true. And then we also need to think about once someone is engaged in treatment, how do we create a system that also integrates families into it? Um, so it's a, it's a complicated issue. And right now, um, I think as I, uh, Alicia highlighted, we're not actually doing a very good job on sort of any, any level in terms of figuring out how to, how to involve family members and support family members and really leverage the relationships, the expertise that families have when it comes to caring for their loved one with a substance use disorder. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think Dr. Bagley raises a great point, which is, you know, that family members um, in and of themselves are more likely to develop chronic mental health and um, health conditions than their peers who are not experiencing addiction in the family. So they really do need their own services. And I also think we need to teach family members about how they can be supportive across this continuum of care. So things like, and Dr. Bagley's done research on this, um, you know, having Narcan or Naloxone in the home so that if their loved one is to overdose in the home, they're able to reduce, sorry, re <laughs> reverse that overdose. And, you know, teaching families sort of a harm reduction model where, of course, abstinence is the goal because it is the least, um, it, it comes along with the least amount of harm, but not everybody, you know, is, is going to get there or wants to get there. So how do families intervene along this continuum of care um, where there's risks at each point? Such great points and so important for listeners to hear. Dr. Bagley, as we wrap up, please tell us what you would like listeners to take away from this segment about concurrent substance abuse and mental health disorders and the hope and care that is out there if you or a loved one suffer from these. So I think, you know, the word you just used, Melanie, is really important, is hope, is that we know that there is hope. We know that people can recover we know that people can get better and that treatment does exist that is effective for both substance use disorders and mental health disorders. And we know that families can be valuable partners as we sort of continue to try to figure out the best ways to address addiction. I would just want to add, too, that recovery is a lifelong process and that we also want to make sure in this month that we continue to support people who still continue to use drugs who are not yet in recovery, and that it's really important we think about how systems of care to best support them as well. Alicia, last word to you. 
Tell listeners what you'd like them to know about Recovery Month and hopeful advice for those suffering from both mental health issues and substance abuse and for those that love them. I guess the takeaway is that recovery is self-defined and it's also possible and we need to support people across this continuum of substance use, no matter where they are and what their goals are. Our focus needs to be on supporting them, meeting them where they're at, and reducing the risks that exist for them in the place that they are, and empowering both people who use substances and their families to come together and create you know, a support system that is eventually going to help the person regardless of where they're at. So I think empowerment is really what I want people to take away from this, is that they're not helpless. There are treatments, there are interventions, there are supports, and there are people working very hard who care very much about them. Beautifully put. Thank you so much, ladies. And I can hear the passion in your voice. Thank you for all that you're doing. And thank you for joining us. That wraps up this episode of Boston Med Talks with Boston Medical Center. Head on over to our website at bmcaddiction.org for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. If you found this podcast as informative as I did, if you know somebody with addiction or substance use disorder or mental illness, please share this podcast with them. Share it with friends and family of those and other loved ones because that is how we all learn together from the experts at Boston Medical Center. And don't miss all the other interesting podcasts in our library. Until next time, I'm Melanie Cole.